For all my international money sending needs, I use TransferWise. Convenient, fast, and easy. TransferWise lets you send money to over 70 countries for less than traditional providers, a lot less. While there are many ways to send money around the globe, they often charge you a high fee or mark up your exchange rate, or sometimes both. TransferWise is totally different. It gives you the real exchange rate and charges a really low fee. But how does TransferWise do it? Let's look into it. When it comes to banks, for example, international transfers are not the core part of their business. So they haven't innovated them in decades. When you send money abroad with a bank, they charge you a lot because they're using outdated systems. TransferWise is different. They've reimagined international payments with smart technology. No overhead, no markup, just smart, motivated people dedicated to making it cheaper and faster to send money abroad. It's like how new websites make it cheaper and faster to book plane tickets. TransferWise does the same thing, but for your money to travel instead. And TransferWise is borderless accounts lets you hold over 40 currencies at once and convert between them whenever you like. You can get paid without receiving fees. Don't take my word for it though. TransferWise has 3 million happy customers that get great rates every time they send money. And you can test them out for free at transferwise.com slash yoga or download the app. Again, that's transferwise.com slash yoga. Hi, and welcome to another episode of From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. I am so mega, almost too excited to introduce my guest on the show today, author of the number one New York Times bestselling memoir, Wild, New York Times bestsellers, Tiny Beautiful Things and Brave Enough, and the novel Torch. This woman is a novelist, an essayist, column writer, fellow podcast host. There is no measure to the way that her courage and her words and her thoughts have affected my life and countless others around the world. So let me welcome the one and only Cheryl Strayed. Oh, thank you so much. What, what a warm and glorious welcome. Thank you, Rachel. I'm thrilled to be here. Did I overdo it? <laughs> no, you know, of course. Am I going to say you overdid it? No way. I'm going to be like, bring it on. (laughs) Life life is hard enough. I mean, you know, honestly, I just love the joyous way you introduced me because I'm that way about people too. I get so excited on my podcast when I introduce our guests. Sometimes I feel like, am I just like gushing too much? But I just, I love, I love to spread love and I know that you do too. I, I love that. And it's so true. I always, when I am on the other end being interviewed, sometimes I feel a little uncomfortable. <laughs> but as long as there is excitement there, you know, it's, it's probably means it's going to be a really good conversation. But I have totally. to share, I, I shared, I shared through social media that you were coming on the show. And I've had so many different types of, of guests of, of all sorts of different people. And I have never had a reaction uh, through social media like this, in that uh, not only were people so excited that you were going to be on the podcast, uh, but when I asked people if you know if you have any questions for Cheryl or anything specific you want to know or talk about, um, people were writing me in direct message through Instagram as if they were writing "Dear Sugar." Yeah. In very oh, it was it was very very touching, really deep, intimate uh, questions right away. Um, and I, I think I want to just start on that. No, what does it feel like to have people be so um, so intimate with you from from afar all the time? It's it's really a profound experience. Uh, I have I, I'm constantly overwhelmed by it. So it doesn't surprise me when you say that people wrote you these long letters as if they were writing to Dear Sugar because I'm on the other end of that of that every day. And and now that's been several years that that's been true about eight eight or ten years really and I'm still astonished by it 
and deeply moved by it. When I think about, you know, what what matters the most to me when it comes to my writing, what impact I hope that my work has in the world, it's really just that. It's it's I want my work to feel like it alters people in some ways or it consoles people or it makes people feel less alone and, and more uh, willing to be vulnerable, I guess. And that's really what's happening when people write to you or they write to me and they say, you know, I, I, those, I, know, I know probably, you know, some of the stories you heard because I hear them all of the time. And it's, it's so moving to me. It really feels like the greatest gift of my writing. And, of course, my writing has brought me a bunch of great stuff, um, but the best thing it's brought me is that sense of kinship with readers, with people who, who you know, feel affected by my work. And, I mean, I, I felt almost like I was a... Uh... Not, not like I was imposing, but it was very clear they are writing you from this di- very, very intimate place, and I'm sort of the messenger in between. Um, but, but I've never had that with any other guests, such real heart, you know, off the bat immediately. And it was um, it's beautiful just to, yeah, I've written some of them down, and, and hopefully we can get to a few of them. But it was, um, yeah, really moving just to read these, these questions. Do you enjoy, um, did you enjoy writing as Dear Sugar um, more than you did or do sort of writing novels or um, the different sort of things that you do now? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. That's a great and interesting question because it's one I've tried to answer myself. Um, so for your listeners that don't know, my Dear Sugar column, I started writing it for this website called The Rumpus back in 2010. And at the time, I had just finished the first draft of my memoir, Wild. And I handed it in to my editor, and there's always this kind of in-between time where you're waiting for the notes to come back, and you know you're going to have to do a revision. And I was asked to write this advice column, uh, anonymous advice column for the rumpus, and it, it paid nothing. And I realized, you know, sometimes when people hear me say it paid nothing, they, they think I'm being hyperbolic, and I'm meaning it paid little. No, I mean it paid nothing, zero, you know. And I was like, but... I, I, I took my own advice, advice that I would soon come to give as sugar, which is trust your gut. And when I was asked to write the column, I thought, well, you know, this is kind of interesting. I really hadn't read many advice columns. I wasn't much of a – I'd never thought of myself as an advice columnist. But I just thought I'd give it a whirl. And that is the glorious piece of um, when people aren't paying you for something, you can do basically whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I did. And I just made this column really uh, even it was a really surprise even to myself that I started to pour all of myself, everything I knew as a writer and a human into this this advice column. And, you know, now it's been collected in the book, Tiny Beautiful Things. Um, and I when I look at that writing, it's basically the, the book I wrote by accident. Um, I was writing it while I was uh, doing the, the edits on Wild, and it came out like four months after Wild, that collection did. And when I look at that writing, I do think that on one hand, it's, it's, it's not that I, that I, that's my you know, favorite writing, but in, in some ways it is, you know, everything I wrote in Tiny Beautiful Things was something I wrote after at least that first draft of Wild. And with every book, as a writer, you learn something new. And I think this is true in whatever kind of work we do, Right. Uh, you go through a kind of crucible, and, and Wild was certainly that for me. So was my first book, Torch. You know, I, I, it, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done is to finish that first book, and then I learned from it. And Wild is better because Torch exists, and Tiny Beautiful Things is better because Torch and Wild exist. 
And so in some ways it was just simply, I feel like Tiny Beautiful Things is um, me growing as a writer. But it's also true uh, that, that the form lends itself to a kind of searing vulnerability uh, that, that maybe I'd never um, gone that far before in my work. And, and that is really, I think, because what's happening is it's not just me sitting there writing and telling you a story about myself. It's me actually having an exchange on the page with a real person. It's this epistolary exchange in the form of somebody writing to me, oftentimes the thing that they've never told anyone, the thing they're the most ashamed of, the thing that breaks their heart, that, you know, that they're saddest about. And I would write them back. And that is such an intimate exchange. I mean, you, you talk about the, the things that people wrote to you, uh, really intimacies. And here you are, they're strangers, but they're telling you sometimes the hardest things about themselves. And, you know, I took, um, it took me, to, you know, that kind of vulnerability took me to another level too. And I love that, that that experience, of course, in my mind, it, it really lends itself to, you know, other things that we discover as humans, that, that when people make themselves vulnerable, we become braver, too. And yes. I love that that's, you know, in the, in the Dear Sugar column, it's, that's what's happening. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it was really uh, a revelation to me that, like, that this form of letters was such, uh, such fertile ground. And, and I teach every once in a while, and I found I've started to really integrate letters into my, my workshops because I do think that people get, they just kind of lay down their, their fears and, you know, most of us can write a letter, right? And, um, and so, you know, it's, it's really a cool tool. Do you think it has something to do with that? Because also the idea of, oh, I'm writing a book now. There's something that's so very formal about that. And also there's pressure to that versus, oh, I'm, I'm answering a question or I'm, you know, providing a little bit of advice or just my own thoughts in this moment. Do you think that there is that um, sort of cuts through to the vulnerability right away as well? Yeah, I, I do think so. And I think, you know, just even when I think about, like, if you and I sat down across the table from each other right now and said, okay, we're going to each write, um, th- we're going to start chapter one of our of, of a book. And then we just, like, look at that page and be like, page one, <laughs> you know? I mean, nobody's going to write, right? We're just going to be like, I have no idea what I'm going to say. But if I said to you, as, as I would say to you, if you were going to, you know, be in my workshop, I would say, okay, Rachel, um, I want you to write, dear Rachel, the last time I cried was, and then just write the letter. Or, mm-hmm. dear Rachel, you know, write a letter to your, yourself, the, a younger version of yourself. Imagine yourself 20 years ago and write that, that girl or boy, or young woman, or young man, a letter, right? Um, telling telling him or her what he or she doesn't didn't wasn't able to see 20 years ago, but you, that you can see now. And so, right there, you know, I think that a letter is always a kind of prompt in itself, a, a sort of opening. I, I recently, I, I feel like, you know, obviously we we get a letter is essentially also an email. You know, we we address people, um, but there is something too about getting old-fashioned about it and actually writing a letter. And I recently had this experience. My kids, who are 12 and 14, I have a son and a daughter, um, they go to camp every summer in Vermont for four weeks. And the only contact I have with them uh, is through letters. They write to me and I write to them. And it's such a cool thing. No phone thing calls. I know. It's like it almost kills me to be away from them for four weeks, but it's, they Whoa. love it so much. It's, 
And it's, it, what's cool to me is to, you know, I start writing the letter to them, and there always is this sense of like, well, what should I say, you know? What do I say? And it's always like, what did, you know, I'll, I'll tell them what I had for dinner yesterday or what I did, you know, what the <laughs> dogs are doing or the cats. And I think that there's this wonderful way in which we feel that letters, we don't have to be great in them. We, we just have to say what happened. And there's real power in that. Oh, beautiful. So beautiful. Um, for me, I, I have this very, uh, uh, I guess, the chrono chronological order uh, of your books don't make sense to me in a personal way because uh, I first read Tiny Beautiful Things. It was uh, gifted to me by one of my best friends. She's a psychologist. And her words were, oh, this is how we talk to each other. Sort of like, you know, she would have a problem and then we we'd grab a glass of wine and we would talk about it. Or I would have a problem, this sort of very intimate, you know, best friend to best friend way of, of churning through stuff. And she said, you have to read this book. And it was one of those books that I think I had it on my nightstand for at least, I don't know, a year and a half, maybe two years. Uh, and I would pick it up whenever I was in need of something. It really became... Oh, like it's it's one of my the most important books in my life and I'm just so grateful that you that that, that you wrote it that you produced thank this, you. this little thank you miracle so for me but because it was the first one I read and I had never heard of, of, of wild or, or anything like that and I honestly didn't do any research on the author I was just kind of absorbed with like oh dear sugar and these uh, these right. amazing answers to these really deep questions that I also sat with and then years later I saw the movie wild Um, and, you know, loved it, and, and Reese Witherspoon, who I love, and, and all of this, and then I read the book, and then I made the connection, and it was like I had two parts of my life strangely <laughs> merge, <laughs> because I couldn't wrap my head around, like, Cheryl Strait is Dear Sugar. I just, I, I, I had no clue. Um, so I, in my book, you know, Tiny Beautiful Things was this thing you did many, many years ago, and then Wild happened. So doing the research now just for this podcast, I was like, what? That was, that was before? Yeah. <laughs> That's so, they were so written on top of think... each other, really. I mean, while that's what's so funny is while I was writing the edits of Wild, I was week by week writing these these columns, which really are you know essays. They, they, I don't want to when we, we're talking about the, you know the way that letters can be accessible. I don't want to um, imply that it wasn't hard to write those columns. It really was hmm. because you know I, I, I put so much into it. But yeah, I mean they they're. That that is tiny beautiful things all came really after Wild. I mean, they were sort of on top of each other. But yeah, I think a lot of people have read my books in that order, and in and in the same way you described, tiny beautiful things is definitely a book that friends have shared with each other. That uh, you know, parents and, and adult children have shared with each other. It's almost like a kind of language. I, I've met so many people who say that their therapist gave them a copy of the book um, because, in some mm -hmm. ways. So many therapists have said to me, this, this is how I wish I could talk to my clients, but, you know, because there is that professional decorum, you can't really tell, you know, deep stories of your own life by way of, of counseling your, your clients, you know, and, and I do that as sugar. But I love how that book has become itself a kind of, you know, in the pages, it's an exchange be between me and the person who wrote to me, but in life, it's an exchange between two people reading the same book, and it seems to be one that people share a lot in that way you describe. Yes, and again and again. I mean, I still come back to it. Um, so in the, the spirit of the name of this podcast, the podcast is called From the Heart. Um, speaking completely from the heart, how are you doing today in this moment right now? Oh, really? Really? <laughs> Should I, I tell you the truth? Um, I mean, truth. of course I have to tell you the truth. <laughs> I'm 
you know, I'm betwixt and between. I, I feel a little, um, so I'm turning 50 on September 17th. And I love, I've always been one to really greet the next year and the next decade with joy. I've never believed in that kind of ageist thinking of like, oh, you know, it's terrible to be 30 or 40 or 50. I feel really lucky um, that I get to be 50. It's a privilege. And part of that is my own kind of sense of um, humanism and feminism and just really wanting to affirm the, the, the human experience in, in all its varied beauty. And part of it is that my own mother died at 45, and so I was, have always been aware of what a privilege it is to age. So, I, And I always get kind of contemplative around my birthday, and I feel like right now I use that phrase betwixt and between in, that, in, a, in a kind of positive way, um, but also sometimes has some negative feelings attached to it. I, I feel like I need to move toward um, some of the more uh, the things in my life that make me feel good. Um, and and let go of things that are holding me back from really being as sort of happy and um, balanced and whole as I as I'm sort of longing to be. I have really had my 40s were this incredibly big time of my life. I um, like I said I have two kids who are 12 and 14. I had all the I've you know had all these books you know published and and then of course. Uh, the movie of Wild was made, and the play of Tiny Beautiful Things, and you know I've been very much a public speaker and very much very active, and it's been a great blessing. But it's also been hard for me to feel like I'm taking care of myself and nurturing aspects of myself that are important. And so over the last, you'll love this. Over the last couple of months, I've finally brought yoga back into my life, and <laughs> you know just tiny, Beautiful. not impressive, like you know. Uh, amazing yoga, but like doing like 20 minutes a day on my little iPad mm-hmm. with my little iPad app that leads me through the sun salutations. And what a, what an amazing life changer that is just to, you know, like basically try to touch my toes every day to, mm-hmm. to find that sense of, of like taking a breath in and out. That's been really good for me. Um, I've started another, like, uh, you know, other, uh, I've started this uh, sort of uh, cardio weightlifting regimen as well that's made me feel really good because that was something in all my busyness, I, I realized I was like neglecting my body. And I love that about those milestone birthdays. You look at, like, for me, it's always been like, where where am I at physically and how do I want to move into this next, next decade? So I'm focusing on that. And I'm also really um, trying to um, get back into that deep place that you need to be to to really write. Um, and so I'm deep into my next book, which is an, another memoir, and um, just trying to learn how to uh, protect my time better and say no to things more so that I can have that time to write. Self-care. I mean, it's it's the hardest thing. Did it Was it a big shift for you um, stepping in from maidenhood to motherhood? Did you notice? Because that's sort of where I am now, or I have a, a one-and-a-half-year-old, and... Self-care has been, yeah, not on my radar. <laughs> I would yeah, say and, you know, honestly, the thing is, too, my gosh, yeah, trust me, <laughs> I have been there. I know. And, and you know, what I, what I realized, I think it was Elizabeth Gilbert who uh, said this either directly to me one time or I heard her say this maybe on social media or something. She, she, was, um, she was talking about this idea of balance. And how, you know, we're all supposed to be aspiring for balance all the time. And what I realized uh, for a while there in my life, I just was like, 
you know, I, I can't aspire to that because if I aspire to something that, that I know is unattainable right now in my life, I'm going to feel like a failure every day. Um, mm. And that, I think, has been, you know, as much as right now I'm saying, like, okay, I am going to strive for more balance. But I'm saying that within the context of my life right now, and that is a context in which that is possible. Um, now, it takes some moving around and then some intention on my part to make it happen. But, you know, back when I had two kids, my kids are 18 months apart, and, um, you know, very little in the way, I mean, no no family who's, like, taking the kids and helping with, you know, I have a great husband, but, you know, we're basically on our own with these little kids. And, you know, all of the things, a very, very busy career, all of that stuff, like, I wasn't going to, you know, make myself feel terrible for not being balanced, you know? I was like, yeah, this is where we're at right now. And so for some, in some ways, like, when I, if somebody gives, you know, asks me for advice about, how to attain balance, I, so I, I really say, like, you know, maybe give yourself permission to live through an er- era of imbalance or an era of chaos and don't feel bad about it. Laugh about it and say, this is how life is right now and life will be another way at a different time. And I think that that's the important thing is, like, th- to remember that, that a different phase will come and it's also your job to, to bring that phase about. Like, you know, that, that when it is possible, reach for it. There was a time that I didn't, truly feel like I could do yoga several times a week. And right now I'm seeing an opening and I'm doing it. And, and that shift feels really good. You are listening to From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. I have been so busy these past couple of weeks and a jam-packed schedule does work up an appetite, but it doesn't leave a whole lot of time for cooking. So when I need healthy fuel and fast, I know exactly where to turn. Daily Harvest. Daily Harvest is a subscription service that makes healthy eating easy and requires basically no effort. They send one-step prep, perfectly portioned, plant-based cups of frozen organic fruits and vegetables directly to your door. You don't even have to think about making the healthy choice. It's delivered right to you. You can choose from smoothies, overnight oats, and more. An amazing meal or snack made from delicious whole ingredients is ready for you in as little as 30 seconds. All you have to do is add water or your favorite plant-based milk to the cup and blend, heat, or soak. Now offering new savory harvest bowls, you can get an amazing healthy dinner that's faster than takeout. And their new plant-based ready-to-blend protein smoothies, especially the chocolate and hazelnut one, actually have me excited to jump on a bike or go for a run with Dennis. Each of their dessert-inspired flavors packs at least 10 grams of protein with no chalky powders. Daily Harvest is the perfect thing to keep at the office or have on hand for those days when you just don't want to or don't have time to cook. Daily Harvest understands that we need ingredients we can trust. And these deliciously accessible organic foods from Daily Harvest are becoming my first choice at any time of the day. Try them out for yourself. Go to daily-harvest.com and enter the promo code YOGAGIRL to get three cups for free in your first box. That's promo code YOGAGIRL for three free Daily Harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. Daily-harvest.com. I love that you're that you're sharing that because it's uh, the idea of balance can become this this imbalance <laughs> in yeah, itself. Yeah, the tyranny, like this, uh, the tyranny of yes. perfection, really. Yes, yes, and I, I find it in myself, at least since having the baby, that it's become uh, almost entirely impossible to to travel and maintain this idea of self-care that in my book is very, very high. Like I need to do yoga at least an hour every day. And if I don't, I'm out of balance. That is some bullshit. It is. (laughs) Right there. Well, And have you managed? I mean, so what about you? How how are you? Like, how are you at this? I mean, I know that a year and a half old child is a very um, 
particularly kind of, you know, demanding. Like, at every age, children are demanding, but a toddler, you know, you're just, when you're with them, you have to be basically be, you know, three feet away from them at all times, and there's, you know, there's so much going on. Like, are you, how are you doing yoga an hour a day? Oh, my God. <laughs> Not, not, not right now. No, I mean, I, I, I float in and out, but I, I had to make that decision. I, I can't keep this, this realm of, of perfection up here because then I also had, oh, I didn't do all the yoga I'm supposed to do today, or I didn't meditate, or I didn't take a bath, whatever. I have this idea of what balance is. And then I would beat myself up and I would lie awake before going to bed. Like, oh my God, this day was just, oh, I failed at everything and I didn't do that. And now I'm going to feel worse tomorrow, which necessarily isn't even the case at all. Yeah. But it's been this, um, oh, yeah, yeah. She teaches me so, so, so much. And I, I try to give myself permission to have, yeah. And not just a, you know, a week of, 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 of not doing everything right. But what about a lifetime? What if the, you know, the enlightenment she's bringing me now is that, um, what I need is maybe not that level of perfectionism and control all the time because I realized that it's, it's the hardest for me is to, uh, to travel with her because it's so hard for me to, to access this idea of balance. So what I started doing is I stopped traveling and I found myself over the past months saying no to really exciting things that I would normally, you know, jump for joy with and of course say yes and oh my God, what an adventure because I am now so scared to lose my balance that I maintain uh-huh. with this grip of perfection <laughs> if I'm home, which just is a ridiculous way to live. I mean, it is. And it's, really. and it's nobody, I mean, that's what I'm always fascinated by this, this idea of perfection because so many of us in, in some ways aspire to it because we think that people will love us more because they'll admire us, so they'll see how wonderful we are and how perfect we are. But actually, perfection almost always drives people away. Like, I don't want to be, you know, at the party with the person who, like, appears to have no problems, who does everything right, <laughs> who has the perfect, you know, every, every, everything. You just think, like, come on, you know, you feel like a failure against that person, right? Um, right. There's nothing really interesting about perfection. Um, and mostly because... It's not true. Like, I've, it's, it's just a lie. Like, if we, if we really actually do pr- project that idea of perfection, if, if people think that of us, we know that they're, that they're misapprehending who we are. Because, of course, to be human means to be imperfect, to be flawed, to struggle, to suffer, to seek and question and attempt and fail and do it a different way and sometimes do gloriously. And that's, you know, that's what's human and that's what's interesting to me. That is, it's so so true, and I wanna I wanna give a, a little shout out to Jen Pastelov, a mutual friend of ours, and thanks to whom we are we are talking right now. But she has this movement um, through social media called No Bullshit Motherhood. Have you seen? Have you ever delved into the hashtag that is that movement? No Bullshit Motherhood. It's yes, amazing. I love everything Jen does. She's she's such a wonderful soul on this earth, she's and she's such and a breath I think of fresh so air. Because yeah. of what we're talking about, like she's always saying. That's what no bullshit motherhood is. That's what she's like. She has this book on being human. There we go. You know, not being, it's not on being perfect, right? Right. Being human. And I just, it's, it's a relief sometimes to just see not just the, the mundane, but also the, the opposite end of the perfection. Like, okay, here I am and nothing is working for me today at all. <laughs> and to me, it just gives me permission to, to, to have more of these, those days. And I wish I could access that a little bit more. But do you have any advice on that? How to, 
I guess, soften that, that harshness? Because I feel like we're going in a direction where, especially through social media and everything that's kind of online, and we portray this idea all the time of how great everything is. And it's, it's, it's sometimes a struggle to, to soften that and not just let ourselves be human, but also display that humanity to yeah. the outside world. Well, I think that there are small ways, you know, I mean, th- there are small ways to do it in our, own, in our own lives and even on our own social media. Like one thing that I became, um, really, I had to kind of talk to myself about this uh, uh, when, when Wild first came out and when I was revealing my identity as sugar, this was all like, like 2012, wow. um, you know, suddenly there were just so many pictures of me on the internet, you know, like people would come to my readings and they would take pictures or we would do selfies and, you know, it'd be all over uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And, and some of, in some of the pictures I looked really pretty. And in some of the pictures I looked really normal, just kind of okay. And in some of the pictures I looked hideous. Right. And that's, that's true of all of us. Like no matter what we look like, there are some great pictures of us and there are some terrible pictures of us and there are some mediocre pictures of us. And I just had to just as a human, let it go and say, I would never say to anyone, oh, don't post that picture because I look fat or I look ugly or I look like that was my own little tiny uh, advice to myself that allowed me to just say, yeah, I, I am actually going to not try to control my actual image um, on the internet, like that whatever picture was taken of me can be posted and I don't object, even if I hate the picture. And that was like this little way for me to say, um, I'm going to let go of the facade of perfection, not only because it's good for me, but I think it's actually good for all of us that we can, you know, that we can see each other in all kinds of different lights. Um, and, 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 and really to me, that feels again, like the more credible human, um, the perfect, beautiful human is not the credible human. Um, and, you know, I think that those small things that we can do in the direction of, of a kind of, I guess I'm going to say humility, um, hmm. actually kind of pay off over time. You know, that, that um, what happens is you let, you know, you start to let go of this, this facade in other parts of your life. Um, and I think so many of us, when we think about facade, we think about, our social media platforms. And that's, you know, I love that, that Jen has done that. I mean, so many of her things that she posts or the pictures she posts are actually, you know, I mean, she's gorgeous. She's stunning. But some of the pictures she posts just crack me up to no end. You know, the times when she's like, I just woke up or everyone's been vomiting all night or whatever. And she'll take a picture of herself. And it's, it's glorious. And we need more of that, I think, especially as women, because women are so much, you know, under the fire when it comes to appearance. And do you ever see the the opposite end of that? Because I I also, I I try really hard to share vulnerability through social media. And specifically, if I've had a rough day or I'm pondering something or moving through something challenging that I don't just, um, I happen to live in Aruba, which is this really dreamy paradise location. And it's easy to drift into, like, look at how great everything is over here all the time because the beach is here and it's the sun shines every day, literally. Um, so I have to really, you know, I make it a point to share the hard things too. But then sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll get this response of, oh, but why are you complaining? You know, you yeah. have the perfect life and all this privilege. And I'm just sharing something that's literally on my heart in that moment. And then the response is the other end. And for me personally, it's really hard to just share what is every day and not think about the response or at least not get yeah. the response, let the response become a personal um, thing. How, how does that work for you? 
Yeah, I mean, I found for for sure whenever I, um, whenever I post something truthful and vulnerable, um, I always get such a strong and positive response. Uh, and of course, there there are always people who are going to be the naysayers who say, "What do you mean you're you're sad? You're you're living on the beach or whatever?" You know, like that's somebody who I mean, you that's somebody who doesn't who isn't really. Uh, talking to you about you they're really projecting something negative and sad in themselves onto your social media page and so you know I think what I really look at when I when I think about those times that I have posted vulnerability like I think about um last Father's Day in 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 June um I just said something you know I said something to the effect of you know I'm thinking of all of you people who have had you know who don't have dads or who had dads who failed you or dads who abused you or you know I'm, I'm sending you a shot of love today because and I posted that because of course um, even though I have done tremendous healing in my life my own father wound I would say is is fully healed it, it's still uh, it's never not, not going to be sad that I had basically an abusive and terrible father right. Um, and I just wanted to send that kind of love out to the people who, who follow me. And I'm always amazed with how, what an impact that makes. That people, I mean, and that's that's the other thing I just want to say about. In in in, in I guess, in um, the the re, one of the reasons why perfection never really works is that like, you know, people don't respond to that. They're, because most people, if you're basically saying, look at me, I'm perfect, most people aren't going to say, hey, me too. But if you say, my heart hurts, my heart hurts because I was wounded as a child by my father, um, a lot of people are going to say, me too. And that is really the mission of literature. Um, I, 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 know, I know that obviously the Me Too movement and that phrase has taken on that particular context, but a, a couple of years ago I wrote a, a piece um, that, about essentially literature, the work of literature in the world, and that is you know, ma- making other people say, me too, I have suffered, me too, I have, you know, fill in the blank. And I, uh, that's why when people say their lives have been saved by books, that's what they're talking about. And and I do think every post that makes people feel that sense of connection, um, it doesn't matter if you're standing on a beautiful beach and the sun is setting and you look amazing in your bikini. Um, the pe- people aren't, you know, it doesn't matter. You can be happy or sad in that context. You can be in the most miserable place and be having the best time, right? And and we all know that. Um, and so I think that, that, that the most powerful thing we can do with our voices, um, with our work, with our lives, with our social media platforms, is simply to, to tell the truth. And what's cool about that is sometimes that truth is going to be everything's grand and I'm so lucky. And sometimes it's going to be I'm really having a hard time and, and I'm suffering. And sometimes it's going to be just like, Hey, here I am. I see you're there too, and I and I love that about social media. So so you put it so beautifully. Thank thank you for that. You are listening to From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. You know what's not smart? Letting your friends choose your karaoke song or making the lottery the centerpiece of your retirement plan. And you know what else is definitely not smart? Job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. Job sites that make you wait for the right candidates to apply to your job. 
But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash yoga to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter does not depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. No more sorting through the wrong resumes. No more waiting for the right candidates to apply. No more wasting your time. It's just not the smart thing to do. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. ZipRecruiter is just the smartest way to hire. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash yoga. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash yoga. ZipRecruiter.com slash yoga. One of, one of the things you just said, you said, um, and you have a, your father wound or the wound of, of your father has fully healed. Uh, I, I got a lot of questions, those sort of dear sugar feeling questions about, about abuse and about um, the wounds from our childhood specifically. Um, do you have a specific moment or a specific time in your life that you can recognize as something that brought you to that place of wholeness or that healing, being able to say that sort of confidently today? Yeah. Um, yeah. So here's the thing. It's not a moment. It's a series of moments that I sought in some cases and that came to me by the grace of the universe in other cases. And I think that that's, that's the hardest thing about healing is that it is a journey, right? It's not, there isn't this quick medicine. There isn't a quick cure that any of us can have for, to, you know, um, to cure, to heal our heartbreak or our sorrows or our losses. And, you know, some of those wounds, you know, when I say, okay, I've healed my father, father wound, part of holy feeling that, part of holy healing that father wound is acknowledging that, that it will always be there. You know, that place, if you think about that place on the body, if, you, if something really traumatic happened to your body, that, that's, that flesh will grow over, right, and you will be restored. But you'll always be able to touch that place of injury. You'll always be able to see that place of injury. And I think for me, um, coming to terms with the fact that, that, that I would have to live my life um, with, you know, as a person who was never loved the right way by a father, as a person who was loved the right way by a mother, but then had a mother who died young, you know, who I've had to live all of my life without my mother. And for me, the big shift was um, learning that I would always carry those things with me. The cure, the cure wasn't to make those things disappear, but to learn how to carry them, to learn how to bear them, to learn how to make every decision not come from them. And, in, and instead to turn that, that essentially that wound um, not into the source of like the sorrow and the ugliness of my life, but into the source of the beauty and the strength in my life. And that has been, um, you know, a powerful, powerful process. I, I said before, you know, I sought that by intention and sometimes those healing moments were given to me by the universe. Um, it, you know, one example is, of course, my hike that I wrote about in Wild. I took that hike because I was suffering and I had failed and I didn't know how to live without my mother. And I also didn't know, you know, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't healed the father wound. So, you know, I went on that hike knowing, you know, I, I decided, you know, how do I feel best? What makes me feel the strongest and most powerful? 
It was to go into the wilderness. It was to be alone. It was to do something that was physically hard. So solitude, nature, and, and physical talent, those three, those three things are a mighty recipe. And almost any time anyone has combined those three ingredients, they've been transformed. And I was. I, you know, I, I, it's not so simple as I went on the hike and then, and then everything was okay, uh, but everything was a lot better. And, of course, it didn't end at my hike. It didn't begin with my hike. Um, that hike was was an important part of the journey, but the journey has continued throughout time. And, and 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 you never know exactly when it's over. Every once in a while, something will happen, and I'll grieve the fact that I had such a terrible father. You know, every every a couple times a year, I'll suddenly find myself weeping over the fact that my mom's dead and has been dead a long time now. And so, you know, that's that to me. You know, again, it's not. Those tears aren't evidence that I haven't healed. They're evidence that I will always have that wound, and they're part of me. And, um, you know, I've turned them into beautiful things in the world. And mm-hmm. that, yeah, that's that's what I, um, that's really what I believe, is, is if we allow them to be our wounds can be the greatest source of our power. That's such a beautiful way of putting it, because so many of of the questions that we received were on, um, on grief and on the idea of, of it having a sort of this end destination. So I'm grieving now and then at one, yeah. one day this will all be over and I'll be fixed or I'll be healed or whole and, and grief um, ends. But I, I have found that too from, from personal experience of losing my best friend a few years ago in a car accident and having yeah, grown up with a lot of loss and death. Um, I'll still have those moments from being really little, five years old, losing my stepfather and I'll sort of miss the idea of, of, of something that never really was present in my life. Like, oh, things could have been different there or missing him, even though, I mean, it was such a, such a long time ago. So letting it be yeah. something that you don't just live with, but that becomes a piece of you rather than leaving it behind and moving on. Yeah, so, well, and that's, I mean, I think, I think that that's where people get hung up. Um, again, it's kind of like this perfection thing. We're like, okay, I'm going to, try to be perfect, but that's impossible. And it's also impossible to erase the things that made us. Some of the things that made us are the things that hurt us. And it's impossible um, for, for, for healing to actually be obliterating or, or making um, invisible the thing, the, those, those things that traumatized us. And so, you know, I'm always really hoping, I mean, if... I really feel like it's so important that we rethink uh, grief and we rethink um, what this idea of moving on and letting go means. Because I'm, I am a big believer in moving on and letting go, but but that's different from saying, you know, pretending it didn't happen. Um, Thinking, okay, that grief is this process that actually has an endpoint. It doesn't. Um, Grief does change over time, and it certainly gets easier. I, I, I now, you know, I'm very used to the fact that my mom is dead, and um, it, it's not like I'm agonizing every day, and yet it's also true that every day I miss my mom, you know. Um, and so, you know, I think, again, I, I go back to that kind of image of the difference between, you know, putting some, something behind you and never looking back and learning how to carry this thing with you because almost always what you find is if you if you think you can leave it behind by ignoring it or running away from it you know it's it's right there it's actually right there heavier than ever um on you 
Um, when you carry it, the load gets lighter. Uh, when you try to avoid it, it's, it haunts you, really. It's right there. It's on your back. And um, that's why I think so many of the letters that we receive from people who are grieving, when I say we, I mean Steve Almond and I on our podcast, Dear Sugars, people are saying, how do I do this? I'm still in pain. You know, my sister died four years ago, and I'm still really upset. And they're kind of shocked that they're still upset. And, and of course, I say, yeah, that's no surprise at all. You should be still upset. She was somebody important to you. You'll always be upset. You need to find a way to, to, to carry that sorrow in a way that makes you feel strong rather than weak. And I think it also comes back to this, this idea that, that we're supposed to be happy all the time. <laughs> like life is supposed to be this grand, great adventure every day, all the time. So that if we're sad or we feel pain, um, like something is wrong, it's, it's not the normal and we have to shift back to that happy, happy place right away. Um, yeah, right. so I think that the tendency is just, oh, I ignore it or I reach for something. I reach for a glass of wine or gossip or Netflix or whatever, um, and, and I share that a lot in, when I teach as well, that even something like yoga, that is such a, a healing practice, it can also become an escape if you use it as a means to not feel, you know, that the pain when it's present. Totally. Do you see it? So obviously, you know, he, yoga to you um, feels like a healing act. Yes, yes, it does. Usually because... Um, so I can give an example from just, just yesterday. So we, we have started a new children's initiative here in Aruba, the island where I live, uh, to support uh, children suffering from abuse. There has been this new report that one in two kids on this island are either physically or sexually abused at home, which is this sort of staggering thing that we're dealing with right now. And we spent three days at a conference on child abuse and murder, which is just the most... Wow surreal the concept that a conference like this even has to exist it was just absolutely surreal and I find myself these three days not stepping on my yoga mat a single time because it was just too much to absorb and I know when I come to my mat to practice it always involves um, a shift from from my head into my body um, and yeah. sometimes when I feel overwhelmed with something like pain or in this in this instance just this magnitude of of suffering um I, I stay away from what from the place that I know will will sort of force me into feeling those feelings. Uh-huh. And then on the third day, it, it ended, and I kind of dreaded, like, okay, I'm going to roll out my mat. Um, and I spent, I think, 45 minutes just bawling. And that was... Mm-hmm. So it becomes this place for me to process. I mean, and, and it's, you know, it doesn't work the same, of course, for everyone. But I think because I made it into a healing practice, it's become this very emotional place. And not just, yeah. a, you know, a physical or a or practice of meditation either. Yeah. I, I think that that's, to me, um, that's right. I mean, I think if you're probably doing any kind of um, physical activity, whether it be yoga, and my, I love yoga, but in my case, walking is that kind of meditative thing for me. It opens you up to yourself, right? Which mm-hmm. I think is inevitably both healing, but also can be emotional and hard. And hard. You are listening to From the Heart, Conversations with Yoga Girl. 
I love the feeling of freshly brushed teeth. Every morning when I wake up and every night before I go to bed, this routine is one of the most important things I do for my health every day. But did you know most of us are actually not doing it properly? If you want to make sure you're staying on top of your oral hygiene, I recommend you use Quip. Quip is the next level electric toothbrush that ensures you're getting the best brush every time. To help guide you through a full and even clean, Quip has a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds so you know when to switch sides. Did you know a striking 90% of us do not brush our teeth for the full two minutes and don't clean our mouths evenly? Well, Quip can change that. On top of that, Quip has sensitive sonic vibrations, so this toothbrush is gentle enough for all gums, even if yours are extra sensitive. Most people brush too hard, and some electric toothbrushes can be way too abrasive, but Quip has found that perfect balance. For added convenience, Quip has a multi-use cover. If you're at home, this cover mounts to your mirror to declutter your sink and your cabinet, but if you're on the go, the cover will protect your bristles, keep them clean, and make traveling with your electric toothbrush way, way easier. Not only does Quip not have an inconvenient and clunky charger, it runs for three months on only one charge, which is absolutely amazing and revolutionary. I never get on the plane without it. Here's another fact. Did you know that three out of four of us use bristles that are old, worn out, and ineffective? That's why Quip delivers new brush heads on automatic and dentist-recommended schedules every three months for just $5. Quip is one of the first electric toothbrushes to be accepted by the American Dental Association. They have thousands of verified five-star reviews. With a perfect clean each and every time, it's no wonder that Quip is backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Try it out for yourself. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash yogagirl right now, you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack for free at getquip.com, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash yogagirl. Have you ever found that, um, so it, in, in yoga specifically, we talk about this a lot, but um, that different sort of emotions tend to anchor in different parts of your body. Have you ever had that sort of walking experience no. where it becomes a very physical, no? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I've, I've always um, done, you know, I get massages a lot and I've done yoga off and on over the years, back on lately, but, and, and I've done various other things where the, the, the leader or the teacher or the, the practitioner will say to me now, you know, some people hold this, this in this place of their body or they cry when they get a massage or whatever. I've never had that experience. Um, I haven't. The, the, though I will say, I, I mentioned that in addition to my yoga routine, I started recently um, taking this at this like small group personal trainer gym. Uh, it's like weightlifting and cardio and it's all these like you jump around and, you know, do stuff with kettlebells and Bosu's and you know all of this stuff that that honestly makes me feel by the end of the hour, uh, like you know, okay, I I am dead now. <laughs> like really, do you feel like you're stuff. gonna cry at the end of it? <laughs> well, no. You know what I do is a few times I've actually cried in the middle of it, and it's because and it's it's totally just um, because it is so humbling. Um, I'm I've always thought of, I've, t- I've tended to be a fairly, like, you know, physically active and in shape person, and I'm really, I feel like I'm at the bottom right now, I feel like I'm kind of out of shape, and I'm, and I'm climbing, I'm at the bottom of the mountain, and I know I have to climb back up to the top, and that's just a humbling place to be, you know, to be down on the floor and thinking, okay, I'm going to try to do a burpee, and I'm going to have to do the, like, the modified version of the burpee, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it makes me feel, I mean, I'm laughing, but I'm, I'm genuinely true. I, I have to do the modified burpee, you know, but it moves, it, like it actually moves me and it makes me cry. Like, because I'm like, okay, this is hard, but I'm doing it. 
and it's both humiliating and also inspiring, like, because I'm like, this is hard, but I'm doing it. And, and like, to me, that's a very powerful moment, right? Um, in all yes. of our lives, when you're just saying, to do it I, anyway. Yeah. And I'm not going to be the person that everyone will look at the class and go, gee, like, I wish I could do a burpee like her, you know, or my like downward dog, my little (laughs) kind of, you know. (laughs) Maybe one day they'll use you as the demo. Here's the perfect burpee by by Cheryl's. Yeah, you just wait. You check in with me in a year, Rachel. You interview me on this podcast in a year and I'm going to like, I'll tell you about my burpees. Oh, my God. Do you know what a burpee is? (sighs) I know what a burpee is. Oh my God. To me, it's just torture. I, I don't even, I don't even go that route. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know. I, I would cry all the way through. <laughs> no, for sure. How did um, you so, begin? When did you begin doing yoga? It's been a, a decade, a little more than that. So yeah, maybe I'm too comfortable. I, I think about that a lot, actually. Um, I, I, I tend to shy away, especially, especially from, yeah, really physical workouts the idea of, of like pushing pushing my uh, my husband does iron man races uh and tries oh, wow. to nudge me yeah. all the time to go you know biking running swimming and i'm like no 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 no. i have my yoga thing but uh sometimes i think i'm too much in my box <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe one day i'll add a burpee to that but not today for for sure um a really beautiful um beautiful question that i that i wanted to touch on that we got um is a woman uh, who's a yoga teacher, uh, asking about self-doubt. Um, she writes, uh, as a yoga teacher, I often have feelings of self-doubt. I don't know if I will ever feel qualified enough for the responsibility of guiding another person on their yoga journey. What do you say on the topic of self-doubt or having the confidence to do what you love? You give advice to people on all kinds of topics. Do you ever doubt your ability to do so? Yes, all the time. And I think what I've learned is, is actually, again, you know, so, so many of the, 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 the sort of truths, I guess, I've come to um, have to do with realizing that, that the, the negative aspect is, is contained in the positive outcome, right? So when I just say, actually, what I believe truly is the, source of, the greatest source of my power are my wounds, right? Um, the, the, and I think that that's true also when it comes to my writing life and also my work as an advice giver. Um, I think it's the self-doubt is in so many ways what, what drives me to work harder, um, to think more, to be more mindful about my words, about my actions, about, about um, you know, questioning, questioning uh, my sense of authority, um, and also sometimes questioning my sense of humility. I, I think that, that it's really also important um, to say, you know what, I do know what I'm doing here. Uh, I think women are really, really, really uh, very, very um, commonly saying, oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't really, I'm not the boss, I'm not the, you know, I, I don't know much about this, or this is just my opinion. And, you know, to say, okay, self-doubt is a piece of being a leader, or it's a piece of having authority, or it's a piece of achieving high goals and being ambitious, but it's only one piece of it. The other piece of it is stepping into your power and saying, I do know a lot of things. And these people are here. They wrote to me because they want my advice. Or they're here in my, in my studio because they want to take a class with me. And I have wisdom to offer them. Um, I think where we get into trouble is, is so often, I think, authority has been presented to us. 
as, again, a black and white thing, that there is one teacher and one student. There is one person who has the power to offer expertise and the other person who receives that expertise. And, of course, many women I know and a lot of people who especially, you know, uh, are, are in the kind of like uh, sort of self-improvement industry, if you will, you know, know that that, that that dichotomy is a false one, that any good teacher learns from his or her students. Um, that, you know, I mean, talking about doing the, the modified burpees, like my, this woman who's the personal trainer at my gym, Paisley, you know, she treats me with the same respect and regard as she treats the person next to me who can do 50 perfect burpees in a row. Like, I honestly think she doesn't think that body is more powerful or worthy than this body. And I think that, um, that that has to do with a sense of of humility and a sense of knowing, you know, that that we always learn from everyone in the room, and that sometimes, you know, you're the leader, you're the one who's telling everyone what to do, you're the one giving the advice, and sometimes you're on the other side of that, and um, you know, really embracing that as a value wholeheartedly, and that really ex- it, what it does is it frees me to give advice, and. So I always give advice from the perspective of like, listen, you asked me for it, but I'm not the only person who can weigh in. You know, I'm just one voice, um, and you sought me out, so I'm going to give it to you. You, you person, you know, yoga teacher who's sometimes filled with doubt, you're just one person who's sharing this beautiful practice of yoga with a group of people. And sometimes magic happens, and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes your leadership re- resonates with other people, and sometimes it doesn't. And your job is to simply do it with a whole heart and with all of your, 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 your humility and grace and wisdom. Because there is, that, there is that, that difference between being confident and, and cocky. Yeah. Uh, and also that difference on the other end between being humble and apologetic, I think. Totally. Do you have any yeah. advice for, for, you know, in the moment, those, those big moments when we feel so much self-doubt that it makes us apologetic instead of humble, how to, yeah. how to remind ourselves to, you know, to remain in that place of power still? Well, one of the things I've done is there, there, there have been uh, lately many times where um, I just find, I mean, that, that it's kind of like, remember a, a bit ago I was talking about how I just decided, okay, I'm going to be fine with every picture of me on the internet, whether it's good or bad, because it represents like the mm. full range of, of how I look. Um, you know, um, I also tr- like, so I'll just make a decision. Like, you're not going to be, feel bad about this. Um, uh, you're not going to say sorry about that. Okay. So sometimes I've been in situations where I'm nervous. I, you know, teaching a class where, uh, because I teach writing too, I relate to the, this idea of like, standing in front of a room of people and feeling a little bit like, am I good enough for this? Mm-hmm. Um, just, just, just decide before you step onto that platform or that stage that you're not going to utter the word sorry. You're not going to say anything self-deprecating. Um, you're not going to disempower yourself via language in any way. And even just making that decision, making that little shift, even if you're th- saying it to yourself inside, um, can be a... Can make it, it makes a change in, in the, way, the way you seem, the way you feel, even inside yourself. Um, I found myself saying, sorry. I found myself saying, I don't know, but um, when, really, when really I did know. 
that once once you start thinking about or me personally when I start thinking about how many times a day uh, I say sorry <laughs> sometimes that becomes my default even though you know oh sorry but sorry 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 yeah and I've had moments in my life where I just realized oh my god I'm, I'm apologizing for everything all the time uh, and I haven't done anything wrong it's like sorry I, I'm existing in this space you know sorry yeah. sorry sorry well and, and that's uh, that you're sorry um of course sorry has a powerful place in the world it's not, you know, by deciding not to say sorry, I mean, what I mean is don't say sorry for the things you didn't do wrong. You know, don't apologize right. for being the person who has the microphone. Um, and I know that that's a really, I mean, the metaphorical microphone, sometimes it's a literal microphone. Mm -hmm. I, I know that's a really hard thing um, to do, but I want to go back to this. I sort of missed, like, I didn't say fully what I meant when I say um, that you have to fold self-doubt into your, comp your confidence. You know, the same way the wound becomes a source of your power, your self-doubt can be like that great driver of your success. You know, that, that you, you, you know if you're going to have this whole mix of feelings, as we all do, um, you know, give it a seat at the table. This is something I say about fear. I, I get asked a lot because in Wild, I, I hiked... 1,100 miles of the Pacific Crest Trail by myself, and people, you know, the number one question is always like, weren't you afraid? And, um, and I would, you know, I say, yeah, you know, I was. But, but it's also true, as I wrote in Wild Fear, is a story that we tell ourselves. And I think that the most powerful and false story we tell ourselves about fear is that it should be an indicator that we should not do something or stop doing something. Now, sometimes it is, right? <laughs> you know, like if I'm standing, I'm not going to jump over the side of the mountain because it's scary, right? But, but I mean, in, 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 in lesser, you know, in, 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 in situations where, you know, you have, to look at the, you have to look at yourself and say, okay, I'm afraid to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. So welcome fear. Just cuddle up here beside me. I'm going to take you with me and do it anyway. You are not going to be my ruler. And I think that self-doubt has that same function, that it's like, oh, yeah, you know, every time I write, self-doubt pulls up a chair right next to me, and I just say, you're going to have to just move over a couple of inches. I'm going to write, <laughs> and then you can come right back, okay? And, and you know, if, if you do allow fear or doubt or any of those negative things to prevent you from doing the thing that you want to do or that you need to do, um, those become your master's. And you never do the thing. You never do the good thing. And so, you know, just like this is so connected to what I was saying about grief and loss and wounds and the bad, you know, it's not about saying, I'm going to eradicate you. It's about saying, you are part of me, and I'm going to honor you, and I'm going to invite you to contribute to my cause rather than prevent me from seeing it through. Hmm. That just shifted something really big for me. Um, personally so th thank you thank you thank you for that I had that um <laughs> when we confirmed this podcast I, I had my my, my self-doubt took this big chair and kind of pulled up next to me like you can't have Cheryl straight on the podcast are you crazy <laughs> and I was like oh my god no you're probably right and then you know it took me like half a day to like oh my god yes <laughs> I can't you have can't. to read my entirely possible read my dear book. I gave you advice that you could interview me right <laughs> exactly exactly uh, so if I um, if we end on sort of a big note because this is uh, all of this of course also really applicable to not just to ourselves and us as individuals sitting here and everyone listening to this but um, the state of the world and where we are today 
so our place in, in, in this, this, this big place of this earth, how can we step into that place of, of confidence and kind of letting fear just move a couple of inches down the table so that we can step up and act? Because a lot of, a lot of questions also um, came in about wanting people wanting to make a change in the world or wanting to stand up for what they know is right, uh, but feeling really powerless. Um, also today, I mean, it's just, we're, we're recording this. It's a Monday. There was another mass shooting in Jacksonville. I had this really heavy weekend with this, um, child abuse situation. There's countless horrible things that happen all the time. Um, do you have any advice for how everyone is listening can find the courage to stand up and, and be of service? Yes, I do. I, I'm, this is something I think about a lot and because I share that sense of, despair, a sense of being overwhelmed by all of the terrible things in the world. I mean, the, the, the world itself, the planet itself, in, in danger, great danger because of climate change. And then the things that are happening, um, you know, on a world scale with so many, so many issues and um, the refugee crisis and the, you know, violence against women. And like, there's a long list, right, that many of us um, feel absolutely heartbroken about. And I think many people feel that they that their lives, you know, they just go along in their lives and they're not contributing contributing to the betterment of the world. And what I really think about when I feel that way is is what can I do today? And it's interesting. Just just this morning, uh, before you and I got on the phone, I was out to breakfast with my kids, and there tomorrow uh, it starts a, n- a new school year for them. And my husband always asks them, like, what's the word? that you have like what what's your goal for this year let's put it into a word like what do you want to do or be this next year and they started to throw out these these big words and i and i told them the story about when i was in my 20s i worked um with these girls at this really difficult um school they were they were all girls whose parents were incarcerated or drug addicts or you know these girls were really up against it didn't have home lives that were very supportive many of them had been traumatized as kids by being sexually abused or physically abused. And I would, my job was to help them set goals and to help them set a course for their lives that was more positive. And one of the things that struck me right away is whenever you asked any of them, they were all like 13, 14, 15, what they wanted to be when they grew up. They'd all say pediatricians. And when I was working with them, I would be like at first like, oh, that's great. Pediatrician is a great job. I hope you, you know, can become that. But after working with them for some time, I would observe things like many of them were flunking out of school or not showing up to school, or they were having all these, these things that would not lead them to eventually to become pediatricians. And what I realized is so often when we think about what we're going to do or what our goals are, or how we can impact the world or how we can make change, we think of, we think of that highest end goal. We think of the thing uh, we, we want to be or, or the world we want to have. And we forget that, that what's really important are doing this, you know, making the steps it takes to get there, right? To be a pediatrician, you have to do, you know, pass your science class in seventh grade. You have to do those building blocks. And I think that that's how you change the world, too. It's certainly how you write a book, one page at a time. It's how you learn how to do a burpee. You do a modified burpee. It's how you learn how to do a perfect downward dog. You do 10,000 imperfect ones. And that's how change is made on every level, including globally. You know, so yes, climate change is upon us, and pe- bad things are happening to people. But what can you do today 
and what can you do every day? And it is a thing to do. It's not sitting around feeling bad about it or wishing that you could do better. It's, it, it is actually making a sacrifice um, and, you know, in, in the direction of making a positive impact in the world. I loved what you said about, you know, helping the children, you know, advocating for children right there in your, on your home island where you live. And, you know, it is that stuff that changes the world over time. Um, that that you, you, you take those steps that you have the power to take. It's about harnessing the power you have in every breath you take. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Really, from the, from the bottom of my heart and, and, and everyone listening, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. I feel really empowered um, today. <laughs> I know already I have a list of five things I can do right now. Like everyone can send an email, you know, everyone can stand up for, for what they believe in or talk to a friend or support someone in need. We all have that ability to take some action for what we believe in today. So that thank you so for true. inspiring us, Cheryl. Thank you so much. Oh, Rachel, it was wonderful talking to you. You're, you're a wonderful soul in this world. And I just feel... You know, even though we're not sitting at that table drinking wine that we were supposed to be imagining we were at, um, <laughs> I, I felt that connection with you across these phone lines um, over all these miles. So thank you. That's a real gift that you have, uh, bringing that sense of warmth and connection to so many in the world. So thank you. You can thank check you out so one much. good thing off your list today. Of the five things, you already did one good thing by making this <laughs> podcast that I know means so much to so many people. Thank you so much. I hope to be on an actual couch drinking actual wine with you someday, not far from now. Oh, I know it's going to happen. <laughs> it's going to happen. Thank you okay. so much. And to everyone listening, I'll see you next week. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much to my amazing guest, Cheryl Strade. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of From the Heart Conversations with Yoga Girl. You can find all of them on rachelbraithen.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you normally get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you are there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work. And of course, thanks to my sponsors, TransferWise, Daily Harvest, ZipRecruiter, and Quip. Please support them the way they support this podcast. I'll see you next week.